0: Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people, and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. So, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. Firstly, welcome to 2023. Um, and with me today to talk about all things 2023 and what the, the future looks like for this year is Kevin Appleby. Now, Kevin, if you don't know already, you'll be very surprised if you don't, is the um, COO of Grow CFO and hosted the Grow CFO podcast. So, welcome, Kevin. Fantastic to have you on the show.
1: Great to be here, Hannah. It seems ages since we last did a podcast together. I know that this is my first appearance on CFO 4.0, but you were one of my early guests on the Grow CFO show,
0: and we had a
1: fantastic (laughs) conversation about business change that day.
0: I know it was and uh, we were just uh, saying how long ago that was. I can't believe time has flown so quickly and thank you so much for coming back on as my guest. It's wonderful to have you on and to hear about some of the the research that you 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 guys have been doing recently. so tell us a little bit about it. Tell us about what you guys um you know the surveys that you've been doing over the last few months
1: well we we've been doing a few um we've published. A big research piece in, in 2022. Uh, we were looking at routes to CFO and we interviewed quite a few people for that and researched 500 CFOs and the way they managed to get to their, their current role and got a huge number of insights out of that. We've got a, we've actually got a strategy survey ongoing at the moment, which will be a report coming out later in 2023 on the CFO's involvement in strategy. But, I think the most interesting bit is around about october twenty twenty two we started asking the community what their predictions would be for twenty twenty three and we asked a lot of people um and we got some very interesting things coming out and came out with with nine distinct themes, nine things that we we ought to be all concerned about coming into this year um The first of which is actually we're going into a year with probably tougher market conditions than we've we've ever faced before or faced in recent memory. I can remember when inflation was a a lot higher than it is now because I'm of that particular age. I can remember when interest rates went so high it got to the stage of how on earth are we going to pay the mortgage next month? We're nowhere near that yet. Folk are panicking at the moment because the Bank of England are putting interest rates up by half a percent. Well, back in the 1980s, 1990s, half a percent was nothing. No? so But for a generation coming in, this is going to be different. We've got a major problem coming up of thinking about cash. Cash is definitely going to be king coming into next year. Um, finance teams are really going to have to be on top of the numbers going into 2023. And... One area, and I, I've actually got a podcast coming out in January where I'm talking to um, an a capital market specialist. And we, we went in depth into what the, the fundraising situation is going to be like this year and concluded that cash from a fundraising perspective is going to be in much shorter supply. The days of investors being short of opportunities to invest in have probably gone. And suddenly, you're going to have to face a much tougher selection procedure. Um, your pitch decks are going to have to be really on top of their game. You're going to have to thought have to have thought through everything, and things are going to be a whole tougher to get money,
0: especially at those early stages for those that are not yet profitable. I think that's the. I had a, an interesting conversation recently as well with that said something very very similar in terms of um, those, particularly those early stage um, companies where they've not quite nailed the profitability model. They're the ones that are really going to struggle, like you say.
1: Yeah. And uh, business valuation is going to be behind that as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get some much, much more realistic valuations coming on board this year. It's um, Again, I've got a lot of gray hairs, seen it before. You know, there's the dot com boom and that all mm, crashed. That and actually, if you go right back into history, you know, Wall Street crash in 1929. And I think we're, we're seeing similar things happen around valuations of, of companies and tech, tech startups have been massive. There are fintech companies everywhere and. I've got a feeling that we're going to see a, a fallout somewhere in the market. You know, there are too many fintech startups. Some of them are going to disappear this year. I'm absolutely convinced. Which ones? Wouldn't like right to say. But we're in a global world. So I'd say if you're a fintech and you don't have a global presence, well, you should start getting worried. So that's, that's probably a big area. But... Now, that, that's that's the, the backdrop to, to everything that's going on. Um, what should we be doing as finance leaders is probably a good question. And prediction number two that we came up with um, is around finance leaders spending a lot more time on non-finance activities. It's something we've seen happening over a number of years, but I think going into these tougher market conditions... Finance leaders that haven't got themselves properly integrated into the business, that are only about the business results, only about the month end numbers, are not in the right place. It's going to be the year that business partnering really comes into its own.
0: I, th- I think that's a really interesting observation. And I think a- an interesting reflection point for those listening as to, in reality, how much time are they in the 80-20 split or the 20-80 split at the moment? And how do they change that if it's the wrong way around?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's we, – we actually did a survey specifically on that. It wasn't a particularly structured one. Um, but we found a lot of people t- were, were getting towards more 40 60. It was 60 finance, 40 non-finance. And I think that's probably the minimum of where it needs to be if you're a finance leader. I'd be looking for for probably more
0: 50-50. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think there's that that interesting piece. And as part of that survey that you did, was there any feedback as to why that they weren't able to make that split? Was it... Processes, was it business the way that the business was structured, lack of funding for finance? What any interesting We, we
1: didn't go into that sort of depth. Mm. This was this was more of a random poll that said you know, what what do you think the split is? Single yeah. question. What's the split of your time at the moment? We we actually ran that. We around these nine predictions that we're making for the year. Mm. We we ran a webinar when we launched this and if you're more interested in each of them. Each prediction is a blog post on our Grow CFO website. On the Insights page, you'll see a prediction section with nine posts that go into each of these points in a lot more detail. So, so we launched them in a webinar, uh, had a very good attendance at the webinar. And we, as we came into this prediction about the amount of time on non-finance activities, we simply asked the audience. So it was a very random, very short poll. Most of the things we do are a lot more structured than that. Um We actually do a poll more formally. We send an email out once a week, and we do a a poll across all the membership about some topic or other. And I think this is one we'll probably explore in the new year. We'll ask a bigger audience what's what time they spend on non finance activities and what blocks them spending more time. So that's that's certainly going to be an interesting area to research next year.
0: Mm. Yeah. So one of those yeah. things that should be on your New Year's resolutions list, listeners, um, obviously, is, the, is shifting into tomorrow. last year. I have seen it. If I think about the trend that I've seen in the last few years, I have seen five. Yeah, the last five years, I've definitely seen a shift. Weirdly enough, I think COVID accelerated it. I saw a lot. I've seen a lot more people as we've come out of COVID either wanting i think the the need for that strategic role is is a lot more open and people are a lot more driven towards stepping into that but i would agree with you i don't i don't know that everyone is a hundred percent where they want to be there and it becomes as much of a journey as anything else
1: yeah i, I agree with you i think we, we certainly saw covid as a as a big game changer um That was in the early days of Grow CFO. And we had something going on across, across COVID called the Situation Room. Mm-hmm. And it was just an opportunity to get finance leaders together and talk about this hugely unusual set of circumstances that were suddenly hitting them. And you know, people were genuinely having to think on their feet about what their business model was to survive lockdown and, and so on. And yeah. I, I think the CFO got far more involved in that sort of exercise than they might have traditionally got in putting the business model together. Because it was literally, we're going to run out of cash unless we do something different. What do we do? And I think that's continued because the finance community got much more involved in those key business decisions then. That that trend has continued beyond lockdown into, into the new world. And certainly it's going to help as we go into these tough market conditions in 2023.
0: Well, it is always that finance seems to become more, you know, the finance leadership becomes more prominent when you're going through any kind of crisis, right? And it feels like we've had a few of those crises back to back. COVID, obviously, um, inflation, and now, um, the you know, the big change in market conditions that I think everybody's seeing and funding particularly, I think, is the biggest, um, the biggest challenge that, a lot of businesses are facing that runway is getting shorter for a lot of people, which is why we're seeing some of the shifts happen at the moment that we are.
1: Absolutely. It is. But I think another reason that we need to focus on some other things in the future, um, the big predictions we've got is the the trend towards sustainability reporting and ESG reporting. Yeah. The, The stuff there that, we as finance people have the right skills to be able to collect the data, report it in the right way and so on. But largely that ESG data is not financial data. It's non-financial data. It's how the business over- overall is performing versus the environment. Yeah. And certainly we, we're seeing a lot of demand coming in from the finance leader community to find out more about ESG. So one of our objectives in Grow CFO this this year coming up is we've got to launch some training courses in this area. It's the one weak spot in our training course library right now. But we're hoping by the end of quarter one we'll have resolved that.
0: Oh absolutely. I think um, certainly I've seen I've heard it come up in conversations with customers. Like that has definitely been a conversation a topic of conversation. Weirdly enough it's actually been a conversation on the podcast a few times. I've had Couple of individuals from different areas coming in to talk about it, and obviously with the new standards coming through, um, it, it it does make sense though. For, I do feel like it makes sense for finance to step up and take that compliance capability. Because if we think, you know, if we think about one of the the areas, it does make sense for finance to take it. But it's it's the question, I guess, for a lot of finance teams is, well, what are you going to stop doing if you're going to pick up that piece, and how are you going to manage that in addition to everything else? So it's always a challenge.
1: Well, there there is an interesting where where's the time going to come from, and there are two or three other predictions that we've got that are are helping in that direction. Um, technology is definitely moving on, and one area that we think technology has got to be applied more by businesses in the next next year or so is in month end. You um, know. You want some extra time to do other things. How do you take a day or two days out of your month-end close? Again, something that we surveyed during the year. Um was a very interesting result, actually, a <laughs> survey on how long does it take you to close the books because we didn't get one distinct answer. We actually got two that were peaking. We oh, We got okay. a whole group of folk that seemed to be closing in about five days.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: another big group that seemed to be closing in about 10 days.
0: So that, some that's
1: outliers yeah. that said, well, okay, we barely get the books closed for one month before the next month's finished. Um, but yeah, five days in 2023, we used to close the books for for the business unit. I was involved in an in ICI over 20 years ago. We used to close the books in less than five days at month end. And we had, compared to what's around now very poor technology um, you know, there's enough automation there enough real-time data being transferred around the place for it real-time data used to be the problems of people running ERP systems not anymore you can have real-time data in your zero system in your QuickBooks system whatever it is that you're looking at and you well know, I think you've really got to have that month then nailed number one times are tougher you need to have accurate up to date numbers as soon as possible number two you're going to want to spend more time doing things outside of finance so if you want to give yourself more time you don't really want to be spending a week or more every month just closing the books you want that done in a couple of days so that's one of the big big predictions for 2023. We've got to get better at closing the books. And I suppose a related prediction to that is that technology is evolved. Technology is moving very fast and it is evolving finance functions, but not as fast as it should be. People are still asking some fairly fundamental questions about automation. Um, and one of the, the problems we've got in the way we change in finance—we'll probably step change—but technology is growing exponentially. We've we've got to do something a lot more radical. Don't know quite what the answer is, but we've we've got to learn how to adapt, evolve, and implement new stuff a lot quicker. And you know, Hannah, change is difficult. We're always comfortable. <laughs> with the way we used to do things, the way we've always done things. Actually, we've got we've got a complete mindset change to get through there. And so
0: 2023,
1: yeah. we've got to pick up technology faster than we do at the moment.
0: And I think we need to not use technology as a replacement for an existing process. We need to th- rethink the process as part of that change. So you're talking about doing month-end faster. So one of the most interesting conversations I'm having... Um, I've been having over the last six months is about the concept of that continuous close. So why why should we have three days at the end of month where we have to? Um, you know how can we how can we get the close happening more often so that you know we're, we're always able to access information it's always on demand and it's like you say it's always right and and as you you're 100% right the technology is there but for me I don't feel like it's technology that's holding us back anymore it's processes and perceptions in finance around what technology can do that are the biggest challenge Um, so yeah I, it, it's it's really it's a really interesting space I actually did a I did a um, transformation live session on continuous close. Gosh, I think that was about six months ago, um, and I'm um, still still talking about it, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, and uh, continuous close is not something new. Um, no, when I was working PwC consulting, um, one of our business offers in the analytics team was fast close. And we always cited this is two thousand two two thousand three. We always cited Cisco Systems, yep as the first organization that had a virtual close. They closed the books on day zero yeah so that, that that's
0: possible twenty years ago so it should be easy now yeah. <laughs> it should be and this is the this is the really interesting conversation I think at the moment is that like you say there's there's some people and and i I've got into conversations and they they don't actually. They're still closing last month's books when they hit the following month. Exactly like, I had one person that said it takes them six weeks to do, produce their numbers, so they're, they're they're always they they never actually close on time, Um and they have to the close within month. And I just and um, we sat down and we had a conversation, and a lot of it was the was 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 process yeah technology obviously played a key part in that but it was it was really interesting to unpick the perception around how where they get data from how they process it how they put it into reports um and they wanted and and just their their whole approach to the thing it was it you know we managed to get it down really you know to within days like you say but that's um whole mindset shift. So we go back to the mindset shift around rethinking how we think about technology um, in 2023, which is an interesting piece. And, and why, why is it taking us so long to get back to this conversation about a quick close?
1: Yeah, it should have happened a long time ago. You know, one of, one of my things for a long time has been analytics and data. Mm. I was doing it before we'd invented this thing called FP&A. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, for quite a while, I scratched my head and, wondered, as a management consultant, wondered what fp was. Then I realised, oh no, that's just what you've been doing for the last ten years, Kevin.
0: <laughs> There's all sorts of like, words, isn't there? There's like new categories of things, and I'm like, hang on a second, I've been talking about this for years. Why is yeah. it now suddenly on point?
1: One of, one of my things when I was talking to clients about balanced scorecards, and like <laughs> was, well, you know, if you get a new car. You don't drive your car just looking through the rear view mirror, do you? Well, hang on. Finance team, that's exactly what you're doing with your, your month-end reporting. You're taking so long to get these reports out. And you look at them and you tell the business what happened last month. Well, actually, business couldn't care. It's ancient history now. We want to know what's going to happen next month, month after. Um, but back then... The big thing was, fine, we've got to put scorecards together. We can work out what the metrics are we should be reporting. And normally out of that sort of exercise came some big systems projects because there was no data. Yeah, The world has moved on, and that's probably the biggest change that I've seen. And actually comes back even in our predictions for next year. Data. There is so much more data around. And the problem now is not we want to measure something. Where on earth are we going to find the data? It's gone the other way and there's so much data, which bits of it are actually any use and tell us anything about the business? You know, we're in data overload. So you know, we're, we're seeing um, several predictions around data next year. The first one is we think we're going to start seeing much more in terms of the rise of data scientists. You, know? you may well find that there's a role for a data scientist in your finance team. Somebody who really understands how to dig deep, how to analyze, how to pull some, some interesting insights out of the data you've got. And we're also seeing probably the, the governance and control area of the finance team coming in. You know, you've got so much data. Is your data governance sorted? And I think in a lot of organizations, it probably isn't. More and more and more data, more of its personal data. The growth of data governance is one of our key predictions going to next year. So, there are there are several in that in this data area.
0: I, I think there's an interesting piece around definitions of data as well, because again, with all of this volume of data, there there's a there's a lack of consistency. I think in a lot of data, they might have a lot of data, but the quality sometimes of the data is as oh, yes. good as it should be. Yes, and I think that's you know, if I had to say one of the predictions that I think is going to come and I'd be interested to see if it's reflected in, in what you heard is about, you know, uh, a shared understanding and a common understanding in the business of what data sets mean. Um, because yes. sales be looking at it from one lens, finance from another, and getting, you know, getting completely different answers as to where, where, where things should happen and where things should go.
1: Oh, that that became a very real one for me. And uh, I, I spent a year on secondment to London 2012. But this was a long time before the, the Olympic Games actually happened. This was actually in 2008. And we were in the construction stage of the Olympic Park. And the big challenge was, okay, we've made a load of promises to the International Olympic Committee about what these games are going to do to win the bid for the games. And then the mayor of London, who at the time was Ken Livingstone, had also made a whole load of separate promises to London about what the games meant. Um, he'd made promises in particular to the three London boroughs around the Olympic Park about the job creation and so on. And we were in a position that we had to manage to report some numbers. Now, the big, big issue was that there was, there was no central data repository, there were bits of data all over the place and lots and lots of inconsistent data. So my, my job became putting the performance management system together that actually gave us a single source of the truth. And it, it really did become something major because some of the numbers that were coming out of my performance management system were ending up on the front page of the Evening Standard.
0: When that happens, you um, need to be right. You couldn't afford,
1: <laughs> you couldn't afford to put two, num- two numbers out that were different
0: mm.
1: and each might have been true. But from a different set of definitions, you had to come down to a single definition of how many people have you got employed on the Olympic Park? How many people are from the three boroughs? How many local businesses have been given contracts? All sorts of things like that. And having the data governance around was, was absolutely vital. And uh, data governance in that context became major as well, because we, by definition, for that sort of system, we had to have some personal data in there. Because people were saying, well, okay, what's, what's the ethnicity split of people working on the Olympic Park? That actually became an issue in, in real practical terms, because there was a, a particular ethnic split in the three boroughs around the park. And we had a particularly big community in one borough who had no history of working in the construction industry. So it wasn't just how do we make sure there are plenty of jobs in this community? How do we encourage people from these particular communities to take up jobs in industries that historically they've never been part of? So we actually had... The new performance management system, we put it out there. We, we got professional data hackers to try and hack their way into it and all sorts of things like that. Data governance became really, really big on that particular project because of the amount of data we were carrying, which for 2008 was a lot of data. Now, the sort of volume of data that we were carrying as a huge organization doing the Olympics in 2008 is probably about the same as most small companies are carrying today.
0: That's a crazy.
1: So, data data governance in, into perspective. That what wasn't a problem for you maybe five ten years ago, is probably going to be a problem for you today.
0: And I, and I guess the the piece to bear in mind is that if finance doesn't take up the 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 gauntlets in this instance, then another team will, right? And 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 then you've got competition in there. And I have seen it when I've gone into organisations and. You know, sales is holding their data set and interpreting it in the way that they want to or they need, they feel is right. Marketing holding theirs, then giving numbers to finance, which don't necessarily tie in with the financial results. And that whole conversation becomes really challenging. So. I, I think there's a real need for finance to step up to the plate here and show not just ownership, but leadership around how data should be defined and like you say, managed. I think that's a great goal for, for finance to think about in the next 12 months.
1: I think it is. Absolutely. And you know, the the one set of numbers that have got to be the truth are the financial numbers. There'll be a sales number, for example, within the finances. So therefore, any number that is, is owned by the sales team has to agree to the number that's owned by the finance team. Yeah. I've been there in those leadership meetings where I've presented the business results for the month. Then the sales team come up and presented their story for the month. And the number's been different.
0: You no, know, it, it probably, I love how you use the word months. story. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. um, there's an, you know, implication that it's, um, uh, not quite true, but that's an interesting piece. Ian, you're not the first; I've yeah. heard it quite a few times. But but
1: what what happens, Hannah, as soon as the the two numbers are different, and they might only be different by a thousand pounds,
0: yeah,
1: is that you then have an argument for half an hour as to whose numbers right, yeah, rather than oh, actually, whichever number you look at here, sales last month were down by either five or six percent. Why are sales down by that rough amount? And what are we going to do about it? No, you, you missed that conversation completely just because you started arguing about whose number was right.
0: And for everyone else in the room, there is a, a lack of trust in both teams. And I think this is the interesting piece that the numbers that are being put forward are correct. And, and that lack yes. of trust hinders and slows down decision-making because people. the first question people ask is exactly what you said, which is, which is what is this number right versus how do we how do we action the the insight that we've gained from this data? And and that that that's just a dangerous place to be in this, you know, in this current environment when things are moving so quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, the rise of data scientists, the growth of data governance, I think, you know, the right people to get more information out of the, that vast bank of data you've got. But the governance around it, firstly, from the data security point of view, Mm -hmm. secondly, from the one version of the truth, vital. Now, both of those things are going to be underpinning a lot of the new ESG reporting that you're going to see starting up. So you can see how these things are all linked together. Mm -hmm. If you want faster month end, you've got to have good data. Now, probably one of the biggest things that takes up time at month end is we look at the numbers and we start correcting errors. So the easiest way to take time out of month end is make sure the numbers you get in the system are right in the first place.
0: And are adjusted as well. Because a lot of people think they might go in right, like the invoice might be correct, but it's not been adjusted and posted into the accounts in the way that it should be. Things like RevRec, etc. Mm. So that's yes. the piece for me that create, starts to create that continuous close and that continuous set of Good reports yeah. is actually how do you automate adjustments? And then it comes down to automation, like you say, and people are still trying to understand what automation is and how they can use it. And we need to, we, we do need to accelerate that this year. I, um, mm. that's an interesting piece.
1: Yeah. No matter how fast and slick you get a process, mm. the thing that will always slow you down are correcting the outliers. So mm. I'd say one of the key things you should measure going into next year, if you want to do something about this is errors. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know, if it's your accounts payable, clerk is spending a lot of time putting things right that they're getting through. If it's treasury, if it's cash flow, if it's whatever, talk to those people in your team and say, well, what do you spend the majority of your time correcting? Start measuring it. Firm belief in what, what gets measured gets done. If you can start dropping the error rate, which normally means putting some controls around the data, some extra controls around the process back to data governance. That's probably a key way to take some time out of the process.
0: And I also think standardization. So I think one of the things that worries me coming into this changing environment is that sales tend to take more license with things like the models and the the structures that they use for pricing, et cetera. And the more scenarios you have at that front end for me, the more challenges you get at the back end. So that's going to be an interesting piece, you know, tying together, um, like you say, the challenging market conditions, the 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 need for faster data and the fact that um, you know, you're gonna have maybe less or need for more flexibility around finance.
1: Yeah. And actually, in, in talking through those things around error correction and so on, one of the things that we're seeing is another prediction is the evolution of financial controller role.
0: Okay. And it's
1: going to be all of, all of those things. And there's the, the tech that can help you. No, you're not necessarily manually spotting the outliers. There's tech, in, there's tech coming along these days that could say, hey, that number looks a bit different to the normal trend. I suggest you go and have a look at it. Rather than relying on the the human eye to spot things normally too late, the system should be starting to tell you where the errors are, where the problems are. And I think that's going to make a big difference as we go forward. So that's that's another prediction. And I'm just looking now to say which ones haven't we covered, I think we've covered most of them now. Ah, The one big one that we haven't covered is probably people. Oh yes. Uh, people are gonna be absolutely key going forward. So you as a finance leader, if you don't do anything else next year, focus on your people. Now, you're going to see a wider range of skills needed, a wider range of specialisms needed. Um, people are going to have to be have to think more widely. They're going to have to have greater empowerment. Now, your job as a leader in going into these new conditions is going to be giving, giving the right people the freedom to get on with their stuff. Your job is to block, is to unblock whatever's stopping them doing things, not to micromanage them, but to make sure they're in a position that they can do a great job for you. Your people are going to be your number one resource in getting through
0: this and so so what are the predict so you talked obviously about the increase in skills needed the the importance of obviously supporting and retaining staff were there any other predictions around people
1: um i am just looking back and yet yeah, there's people underpinning everything here you know? we talked about the rise of data scientists we're going to see new skills coming into the finance team and Probably one of the things that we're recognizing is the breadth of skill that you need in a finance role. And one of the things that we've relaunched in Grow CFO this year is the competency framework. It's mm. the, we, call, we call it the CFO competency framework, but it's relevant for any finance leader, whether you're the CFO yet or not. And we've defined in there nine competencies and five skills in each one. So that's 45 skills altogether. So straight away, four. to be a good finance leader, you need to be strong across 45 things. Now, that's that's a huge, huge breadth. Okay. Now, you may well be a specialist in a few of those. You probably need to know something about all of them. That's a big challenge. And... Now, while you as the finance leader need to need to be on top of things, you can't possibly be expected to be an expert in every one of them. So you've got to be surrounding yourself with the right people to complement your skills. So having a good balanced team is a key thing. I'd actually say going into 2023, you want to work out where your personal development should be one of the places I'd start is actually by dropping over to Grow CFO and taking the competency framework. It's it's actually it'll it'll probably take about twenty minutes to do it properly. Because you've got to answer forty-five questions, one per skill. And what you do is literally you you self-assess yourself. There's a definition of the skill. Now is this something at the bottom level? No, I've never done that before. Or yes, I'm an absolute master at doing this. So there's there's four levels. Um you go through, you, you answer all 45 questions. Then there's three or four others about you, which are asking about your level of seniority, the sort of company you're in, the industry you're in. And the reason we ask those, not, not to get a whole load of personal data out of you, but so that when we produce the report that comes out of the competency framework, we can benchmark you against the right peer group of people. Okay? Originally, the competency framework came from our future CFO program, where we were trying to show people the gaps in their skills as they were moving towards a CFO role. But we realized very quickly that this is just as applicable for the new CFO, because most CFOs, when they get that first role, are no better than a a 7 out of 10 at anything. Even experienced CFOs could have been in the job for 10 or 15 years, and they will because of the experience, the practical experience they've had, could be masters in certain things, but they probably don't know what they don't know about certain other areas because they've never really had to deal with it. So the competency framework can be so relevant, whether you're not yet a CFO or you've been doing the job for 15 years. Point of asking the questions. So we, when we send you a report, we can send you a benchmark and say, typically for people, of your level, your, your your amount of experience and the sort of industry you're in or the sort of ownership structure you're in, this is what we'd expect. So here's where you're better than average. Here's where you're worse than average. Um, we can show you where your development points are because sitting behind the competency framework, you grow CFO member, premium member, we've got training courses on each of the nine competencies. So straight away, we can give you a whole load of personal development for next year. So, now I'd be saying if if you're a a finance leader, go do that as part of working out your objectives for next year. And
0: so, some great suggestions here for New Year's resolutions. So, if we think about you know getting hold of um, data in its entirety, so thinking about the governance. Thinking about your data strategy and also those analytical skills, and whether you need a specialist within your team. We've talked about um, having that focus on people, so both yourself and your development and understanding where you are at and where um, your team are at, and making sure that they 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 are where they need to be. And we've also talked as well about you know that focus on month end about really getting hold of you know using technology and process. To drive that month end down to where it needs to be. So no no more of these 10 days um month ends. We we were aiming for that couple of day close, if not a continuous one. Um and what there was there was one more really good one. What have I missed, Kevin? What else was on that list of ESG. To focus on? ESG. ESG is the big one. Yeah.
1: We if the, if there's one of, of the nine predictions. Obviously, tough market conditions, the first mm-hmm. one we talk about is a given. But yeah. out of the others, if there's one we think is going to be big in 2023, it's
0: ESG. Yeah. So we've got some cracking predictions there. And um, thank you, Kevin, for for sharing your insight and your knowledge on the, the predictions and for sharing the information on your benchmarking capabilities. So from, you know, um, for anyone that's listening, um, if, um, Kevin will, won't mind, sh- I'm sure won't mind me sharing those links after the, the podcast. We'll pop those in. Um, and share those, um, with you all in the show notes, um, for both the, the links to the, the nine topical blogs and also the, the, um, the assessment surveys. So, so Kevin, any final thoughts in terms of, um, New Year's resolutions? Anything else that people should think about for the, for 2023? Well, we're sitting
1: here actually, Hannah. We're recording this on Christmas Eve. Though you're listening to it in 2023, and my other podcast, "The Next Hundred Days," which I record with a, a good friend, Graham Arrowsmith, who's a marketing chap, today we we issued an episode of that podcast with one of my heroes, Michael Heppel. Michael, I got to got interested in about 15 years ago because he wrote a book, "How to Be Brilliant," and I'd say if you're looking for a way to develop in 2023 set some new objectives, and so on. I couldn't recommend, if I was recommending a single book to help you, I'd actually say, go go buy Michael Heppel, How to Be Brilliant. It is fantastic.
0: Fantastic! So some great New Year's reading for everybody. So, well, thank you so much, Kevin, for for joining me on the podcast today and for recording one of our first podcasts in 2023. A bit of a milestone for us. Um, Now we're over the 100 episodes mark. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, really loved all the insights you've shared. Some great insights and thoughts on what what 2023 holds for finance. Thank you,
1: Hannah. Really enjoyed talking about it.